Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are doing mid-season awards. So this is just a fun thing. I feel like it's a pretty common uh, podcast article, whatever. This is one of the fun ones. You know, you do your player rankings. Those are fun. I just released mine. You can head over to the B-Ball Index website. Check that out. I ranked... I think I ranked the top 48 players by number, and then I tiered every above average player in the league. It was about 150. I think it's 148 to be exact. So there's fun things we do. Half season awards are always fun. What I did is, you know, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, and Most Improved Player picked a winner and a runner up because these are these are good just sort of indicators or little data points. It's almost like winning the uh the in-season tournament, just like, oh, that's a nice little reminder. Like last year we had, I think we had Nick Claxton either as the defense player of the year in the first half or he was the runner-up. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was one of those things where it seems like so long ago, but the Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were playing at a super high level, and then that team sort of just got blown up in the middle of the season. A very big part of their success was having Nick Claxton on the interior as probably – the best switching big in the league while still providing elite rim protection. So I guess maybe AD would maybe, I guess always holds that kind of crown probably will hold it until he retires, but Nick Claxton may be up and coming. And then like even better than Bam and a lot of the metrics. So really, really good perimeter isolation defense out of him. So the point is this is a, this is a fun one. This is one I always enjoy. It's fun to put together, fun to research. And it's nice because if you go back to it or, you know, sometimes I'll flip through my notes. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, that player did have a huge first half. And sometimes you tail off in the second half. Sometimes your team isn't very good. Or like last year, the Jazz were really great in the first half where they weren't even trying to be that good. And they were like, we need to trade some of these players because we got to be worse. We're trying to draft players. So just uh, a nice little note to go back to. So let's start with most improved player oh wait no so first oh man very very stressful day so we've all been driving on the freeway and you start smelling something kind of burning or just like a strange smell and you're like i really hope that's the car in front of me you know that's probably not my car and sometimes it is sometimes you're behind some car that's like 30 years old and you're like that strange smell is definitely coming out of that exhaust pipe and you know you pass them you get some clean air and all of a sudden you're good Now, the other day I was driving and I was smelling that burning and I was like, please be the car in front of me. And the the smell kind of went away and I was like, okay, maybe there's not something burning in my car. That's good. A couple days later, I turn on my car and I'm just sitting in the driveway and I start to smell it. And I'm like, that's not, come on. Maybe, you know, maybe there's some residual smoke that got stuck. It's in the seats. You know, it's kind of like cigarette smoke can get stuck in the seats. So... Next day, it goes away. A third time I smell it, and I'm like, okay, this is not good. This is uh, – <laughs> normally, that's where I would take it in, but I was in denial. I'm in denial. I'll be honest. So I was like, if I smell this one more time, I'm just driving straight to uh, get this looked at. So I tried to get my car looked at yesterday, and they're too busy. I get an appointment for Monday, yada, yada, yada. And then today, my car starts making – like, we've all had the squeaky brake you know, noise, you know, you're like, "Eh, it's probably, hopefully it's new brake pads, not new brakes. Also, I don't know anything about cars. So whatever they tell me at the place, I'm like, well, I guess that's 
that's just what's going to happen because uh, I can go to another car place, which I've, I've done before, but it's like, I don't know how many of these inspections I'm really going to pay for. So never a great sign. So today need new front and rear brakes. That was a tough one. That was that was a tough one to swallow. And I might just buy a new car. I've never done this before where I'm just like, you know what? Instead of dealing, it's one of those things where this car is like makes a lot of weird noise. Paint's kind of coming off it. It looks like it got beat up in a street fight where I'm like, there's a piece missing off the front of it. And I'm like, maybe it's a sign. Maybe it's time to just let this go. So that's what I've been dealing with. I've been dealing with a lot of car stuff. But let's get to the let's get to the midseason award. So let's start with most improved player. I'm going to start with the runner-up. A lot of guys in this sort of running. Kobe White was a name I researched. Shangoon, he was right up near there. Vince Williams is kind of a dark horse. I don't know. He didn't really play last year. He only played a handful of games, but he's been excellent defensively, and the offensive numbers have actually been better lately. So Vince Williams Jr., a really fun player on the Memphis Grizzlies. But I ended up going with Jalen Williams. So Jalen Williams, there's two of them on Oklahoma City. I'm obviously talking about the better one. And just really, really good production his rookie season. But the jumps that you would like to see going into year two as like a possible building block player. So he goes from 14 points a game to 19 points a game. So a jump of five points a game. That's really good. Now the question is when the volume increases, do you lose out on efficiency? Do you lose out other places in your game? So no, it's it's looking really good across the board. His true shooting goes up 5%. It went from 103 last year, which is a, a really great rookie year, uh, to 108, which is like you're starting to get into Almost 20 points a game. Again, he's averaging about 19 a game on 8% above league average efficiency. Those are some serious numbers. Those are smoking. Uh, Going further into the passing stats, he has the second biggest jump in playmaking talent among on-ball players this year, only behind Devin Booker. So a huge jump in the passing. That's really, really good to see. So the scoring is up, the efficiency is up, the passing is up. It is helpful that he's on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Things are really going well for them this year. Shea's playing at an MVP level, and Chet is in that rookie of the year race, has brought crazy all-star impact. So he's in a really good situation playing with other good players, but to have all of those things go up is really, really promising. His D-LeBron was above average last year, which was really, really exciting because, again, two-way players, those are the most valuable things in the league. And his defense has remained above average. It's a tick lower than it was last season. But overall, you have this kind of jump in offensive output as well as remaining above average on defense. That's very exciting. And then the last number that kind of was like, whoa, mama, was he went from 36% from three last year, which is like league average, to 44% this year. Not huge volume on the attempts, but he's definitely taken them. So that's very, very exciting. So Jalen Williams is the runner-up for most improved player in my eyes. I also just messed up. I just released my player rankings, and I tiered. So I did the tiers of like A+, A, A-, all the way down to C+. So just every above-average player got tiered. I uh, this, It's excuse time. So when you do 148 players, there's a lot of players that were right on the cusp of making it or not making it, and... 
I missed a few there in hindsight where I'm like, oh, these players should have been on the list. And then there was a few guys that were C plus players in my tier list where honestly, like when I sit down and think about it, it's like, oh, I just you're you're trying to you focus more on the top, I'd say 50 players, because that's what more people are going to read. But I should have had Jalen Williams as a B minus player. I had him as a C plus player. And that's just one of those things where after you publish it, you're like, oh, whoops, <laughs> that was a mistake. Um, I guess in the the 148 players, I just made a, a few small errors. So Jalen Williams, I would have higher. That was one of my regrets from publishing that article. But runner up for me for most improved player and just the like because Derek White now isn't the most underrated player in the league, he probably was heading into this year. He has gotten so much praise this year and deservingly so. I think Jalen Williams now holds the title for the most underrated player in the league. Uh, let's talk about who won the most improved player here in the fake half season awards. Tyrese Maxey. So Maxey has been a guy that's been very exciting, has had some really big scoring playoff games, has been really good from three is a blur, one of the quickest players in the league, and I thought looked like a really nice third option last year behind Harden and Embiid. Obviously, Harden leaves town, and Tyrese has been able to up his production while maintaining good efficiency. So he goes from 20 points a game last year up to 26 points while retaining positive efficiency. Again, that's the big thing because we see it all the time where you can put up big production numbers, especially on a bad team. Maxi, not on a bad team this year, but just in general, where it'll be like, wow, this guy's averaging like 22, 24, 25 points a game. And it's like, well, yeah, but he's taken a million shots to get there. So Maxi went from 20 points a game up to 26 while still retaining positive efficiency. That's huge, really, really important, really promising indicator. On top of that, he's doubled his assist number. So this was my big thing on Maxi. I've had a ton of conversations with Krishna, who's our numbers guy. He, you know, he's a really big fan of Maxi, and you know, he there's a lot to be excited about. But the biggest thing was his playmaking data just left some t- to be desired. It was unclear if it was because if you play with Embiid and Harden you're only going to have so many opportunities to make things happen as a playmaker, which is true. So you kind of have to wait and see. But his passing creation quality, which is a stat we have that just looks at when you pass it to someone and they shoot it, how open are they? And the idea is if you have a lot of gravity, you're going to pass the ball to players and they're going to be very, very open. Like think of Luka. If you're getting double or triple teamed and you kick it out, those players are going to take easy shots and they're hopefully going to shoot pretty well on them. So Maxi's never been great at creating good quality for teammates. So that's been something that I, I was concerned about heading into this year. And it doesn't seem to have improved a whole lot, which you don't love. But there are some things that I think are are takeaways that can make you feel better about his playmaking. Cause like, I think sometimes we boil it down to just like the quality stat, maybe a little bit too much because again, that's important, but there's, I talk about this all the time. There's playmaking and then there's ball handling and ball handling is being able to basically manage a game where you, you Think of someone like, uh, if you're older, Chad Pennington, or if you're younger, Brock Purdy in uh, the NFL for the 49ers gets called a game manager a lot. And I think with good players, you are both 
a we'll say in football a playmaker and a game manager there's because there are players in the the nfl that are that are playmakers but they can't manage the ins and outs of like every single down and keep things on schedule and keep things moving and stay ahead of the sticks and whatever other football cliche you want to throw out there and moving back to basketball it's important to have great playmaking obviously that is important but being able to be an effective ball handler has value in its own right and the indicator for me is Tyrese Maxey's turnover rate hasn't really increased it's barely gone up and he's doubled his assists per game so some of that I talk about it all the time is it's production right where Harden leaves you have to fill that production think Moneyball where it's not you're not replacing Jason Giambi you're just replacing all of those runs so with Maxey when you have the ball that much when your offensive load or your true usage goes up you're just going to have more assists because you're bringing the ball up the court. But it's important to note that you're not turning the ball <laughs> over really at a higher rate from the last season to this season. You have the ball way more. You're doubling your assist output. So your ball handling seems to be very good while maybe your high-end elite playmaking isn't quite there yet. Another good indicator we have is his passing versatility has gone up, which is just basically the different types of passes you're making. So what I see in the data is he's doubled his assists per game. Okay, that's interesting. Now let's look at the quality of it. And the quality wasn't great before. It's still not amazing. But the turnovers per game really haven't gone up and the versatility has increased. So that shows me the ability to manage games and manage possessions and get your team, you know, maybe it's not like the home run dunk lob or whatever it is, but you're able to just consistently manage the game and get your teammates in situations to attempt shots that are assisted. Because again, assisted shots, more efficient than unassisted almost all the time. So that was a long rant of Tyrese Maxey is very good. He's taken a massive jump huge scoring volume while retaining efficiency and looks to be a good ball handler while maybe not being an elite playmaker yet. So a lot to like there. Let's move on. Let's talk rookie of the year. So (laughs) it's obviously between Chet and Victor and it was very hard to make this distinction. So again, I just did my player rankings. I put them right next to each other. I had Chet one spot above Victor, but again, they're in the same tier. So if you think Wembenyama should have been one higher, it doesn't, I don't really care. I'm not, the reason I put tiers there is because I'm like, well, if you want to reshuffle this tier, I don't really care because these players are pretty close. So that was kind of how I managed that on the player rankings. Now going into rookie of the year, it's interesting because for Wembenyama, obviously the narratives, I don't have to spell them out because he obviously gets so much attention from the media because he's such an exciting player where he has been unbelievable on a very bad team. So he is first in rookie LeBron. He just passed Chet maybe like a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, maybe. And he has the second best D LeBron in the league. He's only behind Rudy Gobert. Insane defensive impact. On top of that, I looked into it. He is playing with zero above average defenders on his team. Zero. That's hard to do from a roster construction standpoint, but we know the Spurs are bad. Important, though, in this, playing with better teammates is going to up your offensive and defensive play impact, however you want to measure it. It's always going to be helpful 
for the most part, I guess there's a, you could be on such a good team that you don't play very much, I guess is like possible, but not the point of this argument. Um, Victor has zero above average defenders on his team while still having the second best D LeBron in the league. That is special. That is understandable if you've seen him play or if you've looked at his block numbers, I guess you could be like, I can make that, I can make that leap in my head, but man, really crazy stuff. Now, Chet, the defense has been good, but what makes him really interesting is the offense has been fantastic. 17 points a game, 10% above league average efficiency wise. So unbelievable play finishing 39% from three on four attempts a game. So a very real amount of attempts. That's real spacing you're getting. And again, he's no defensive slouch. Two and a half blocks a game. Really, really good defensive play. And like there's some there's some times where OKC, someone blows an assignment or somebody just gets torched on the perimeter. And Chet just erases things. Like not like, oh, he got like a piece of that and it didn't go in. It's like, no, he took that ball out of their hands. If Wembenyama wasn't a rookie this year, Chet would be hyped up as one of the most dominant bigs to come into the league on both ends of the court in a very long time. Like, heck, his handle's even pretty good. There's some turnover stuff. Like, you, every once in a while, he's trying to go behind the back in the middle of a transition play and kind of traffic and maybe not the best idea. But again, he's a rookie. And the ball handling flashes have been impressive. His face-up game is good. So... I talked about this in the how good is Victor Wembanyama or what, what do analytics think of Victor Wembanyama? And part of his issue is his shot quality is extremely low. Because again, his team is very bad and teams are already keying on him in his rookie season where he was 19 for part of it. So his shot quality, unbelievably low, similar to guys like Embiid and Jokic. So he's taking some of the most difficult shots in the league, similar to the best players in the league the offensive efficiency is going to be really low. So as much as I like that as just kind of a, a ballpark measurement, you do have to take shot quality stuff into account, team stuff into account. And it's the, you know, there's been a good argument where it's like, if you swapped what, if, if Victor Wamanyama was on OKC, what would he be shooting from the field? Obviously much higher. A month ago, I would have picked Chet because he started out so strong on both sides of the ball. But since Victor Wembanyama has been moved to center, he has been just a dominant force. He has, I think some of it was just acclimating to the league, but man, his defensive impact already looks to be generational. And I ended up going with Victor Wembanyama for rookie of the year and Chet as runner up. But this is a close one. I actually think this is a really interesting race. And as the season goes, I don't think it's over yet. I think Victor's surging right now. But we'll see how long the hot play continues, and then we'll see what Chet does maybe in the last month or two of the season. So this is one of the most interesting rookie of the year races in a long time because Chet's offense is just so good already. It's really impressive stuff. So let's look at the next award, Defense Player of the Year. So I have Gobert. As the winner, I have Wemby as runner-up. I didn't want to do the whole – I don't want to go through the whole Wemby thing again because I just talked about him. Um, but just a couple more stats on him. Again, Wemby is number two in D. LeBron. Gobert is number one. Gobert, it's it's by a, a healthy margin that he is number one. And Gobert is number two in the league in rim points saved, which, again, it's just how often you contest shots at the rim and then how much harder you make it to score when you do that. 
yeah, Gobert just kind of back to his old ways, had been really dominant for a number of years in Utah. Gets moved over to Minnesota. He struggles in year one. Cat was hurt a lot. It just wasn't, it just didn't all mesh in year one. Year two, they're one of the best teams in the league. They're playing at a really high level. Rudy Gobert, a huge part of that. So I don't think you're going to get a lot of pushback on him for uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Now let's look at Wemby. He is number two in D LeBron. He is the only guy in the league to be 90 percentile or better in our passing lane defense, which is your ability to generate deflections and intercept passes and rim points saved, which is how effective you are contesting shots. It looks at more than just blocks. His block numbers are pretty insane, but you also want to look at all the other contests because you just contest so many more shots that you don't. Like, as if you're blocking like, what he's blocking, like three three shots a game. But if you're contesting like eight shots per 75, there's a lot in there you're not getting through the blocks. So that's why you use rim points saved. Um, But... To be 90th percentile or better in both passing lane defense and rim point saved, it's just so much defensive playmaking that it's just hard to go wrong with that. Like You're just generating so many steals, deflections, and making so many people miss at the rim. That's just pretty devastating stuff. I think the one argument, if you were going to try to make for Wemby being the defensive player of the year, is that he's ninth in defensive versatility among bigs. So he's switching, he's hedging, he's out on the perimeter a lot more than a guy like Rudy Gobert. And you could make the argument that maybe come playoff time or high leverage situations, that versatility, that lateral movement, the ability to play further away from the rim could be potentially more valuable. I don't know if I'm going to make that argument here, but I just thought I'd give you that. Again, ninth in defensive versatility, a positional defensive versatility among bigs, meaning he's just guarding more a, a higher variety of different positions. Uh, 20-year-old rookie has zero above-average defenders around him, and he's been this good in D-LeBron. So uh, Gobert for number one in Defense Player of the Year, and then Wemby for runner-up. Now our last award. Our last award is MVP Most Valuable Player. This is an interesting one because there's quite a few players in the mix. Runner-up was a kind of hard selection i think mvp i feel pretty good about but Jokic is there luka just dropped like 72 points in the game i just watched Giannis has been playing at a really elite level because the bucks have not been um in a groove at any point this year and a lot of it has just been Giannis brute forcing games so those three i think are in the conversation but for runner-up, I have SGA. He's second in LeBron. He's fifth in D-LeBron among guards. So SGA's offense has been amazing, but his defense has been crazy. His steal numbers are like, his steal numbers are so high. So one of the things I do is quality control here at Basketball Index. So if a stat doesn't look right, or if something is just a miss, or we want to clean up something on the site, I'll, I'll be like, hey, I'll report it to the apps guys, they'll fix it, yada, yada, yada. And SGA steel numbers are so high. Sometimes on our side, I'd be like, is that wrong? Like, did they, did somebody forget to carry a one or move a column in a spreadsheet? What's going on here? But no, his, he's averaging over two steals a game while doing 
<laughs> just a ridiculous amount on offense. It just never happens, really. So 31 points a game at uh, 112 true shooting plus, so 12% above league average. You, when you Once you start getting above 10% above league average, that's where you get into like the Shaq Kareem numbers where it's like, man, everything they're doing is going in on that type of volume is pretty insane. So adjusted big time scoring is a stat me and Filippos made what was that like last year. And it looks at just all time volume scoring seasons with efficiency and it's adjusted for era because obviously it's easier to score now. And this I think was like a top 60 season going back to 1974. This is an all time season. So SGA doing some pretty nutty scoring on top of that really strong playmaking career high and playmaking talent 95th percentile in passing efficiency. So not only is he scoring a ton, playmaking a ton, but he's also taking care of the ball. That's really exciting. 99th percentile in finishing talent. That counts getting to and finishing at the rim. He's basically the best player in the league at, at getting to the rim for a guard. Other Zion and Giannis are probably ahead of him, but other than that, it's, he's, he's right at the tippy top. 99th percentile in mid-range talent. The ability to stop on a dime and just the feathery touch, it's really, really difficult to guard him. And he is about as close as you can get to like mastery level inside the three-point line of scoring. So SGA playing at a really high level right now is my runner-up for MVP. Now my winner is Joel Embiid. And I will say I have not been the largest Embiid supporter over the years. He has not been my favorite player, but... Last year was a very good season. I don't know if I had him for MVP, but he was definitely in the mix. Absolutely. This year, I mean, you're just getting to a raw statistical output that doesn't seem possible. It is it is really insane stuff. 35 points a game on 12% above league average efficiency. 35 points a game. 36% from three. from the free throw line where like fouling him is not really an option, at least with classic big men of the past. It's like, well, we'll just hack him and that'll slow him down. 87% from the free throw line. I mean, there's guards that don't shoot that high. Six assists, a steal, and two blocks. You don't need analytics to figure anything out here. This is the type of production. Like I talked about production versus efficiency and how the players at the top have both. So Embiid has both. And then that production is being pushed to a level that, man, I, the only, this is the second best scoring season in adjusted big time scoring. The only bigger season was 2016 Steph Curry because he didn't miss for a whole year from three and that'll drive your efficiency pretty bananas. But Embiid, the second best scoring season since 1974. Man, the defense has been fine. It hasn't been great it hasn't been terrible it's been okay-ish among bigs but when you're doing this much on offense as long as it can just be like fine that's unbelievable value so Embiid you just you can you can pretty much just look at like the points per game and the efficiency and draw a conclusion from there but everything else is just uh it's just pretty wild man the He's just, he's unstoppable because like right now he just essentially seals his man at the elbow, catches it and faces up 
and he can just hit that free throw line jumper over and over and over again. And he's so big, you're not going to block it. And he just makes it every time. So then on top of that, you start like really committing to try to like heavily contest that. And that's when he starts going to the rim. That's when he starts getting easy finishes. He starts getting to the free throw line. And I, I don't I don't really know how you stop him. The last few years, the thing that slowed him down is getting injured heading into the playoffs. That's the thing that's really slowed him down. This year, man, we just need a healthy playoffs. I just want a healthy playoffs out of him. It's not even to push a narrative I want to push. I just want to see what happens. I'm very curious to know this type of unstoppable 35 points a game on 12% efficiency above league average. What does that turn into in the playoffs when you have a maxi next to you, when you have quite a few good role players around you, a lot of good defenders around you? What is possible for this team? So I'm really excited to see that. Again, recapping, Embiid for MVP, SGA runner-up, Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year, Wemby runner-up, Wemby Rookie of the Year, Chet runner-up, and then Most Improved Player, Tyrese Maxey with Jalen Williams as the runner-up. If I missed anyone, if you think someone else should have won an award, let me know on Twitter at TaylorMetrics. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.